Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. Today we'll continue our look at the great salvation that Jesus offers us. He freed us from the power of sin, death, and the devil. When we receive Jesus as our Savior, we belong to Him, and the power of those things no longer have any claim on us. part two of Cheryl's message titled, So Great a Salvation. They're going to be successful and they're going to be out of the wicked witch of the West's grasp. So they sow the sleeping powder and now as they're going towards the field, they're getting more and more tired and they just want to rest. So first they're just kind of you know, going slower and then they're kind of standing and then they're taking one step and then they're beginning just to lay down and they all say at a different point, if I just can just get a little sleep. Next thing you know, they're asleep in the field and what happens? Maybe you remember. They come down those those evil, wicked, winged monkeys and they, they pick them off one by one and they take them to the witch's lair and they imprison them. And I think about this is what the devil's plan is. He wants to take us away from such a great salvation. You see, our salvation is great because it has saved us from the prison house and the power of the devil. Verse 14 of chapter two says that through death, he might destroy him who has the power of death. That is the devil. That's what our salvation has done. It has delivered us from the power of the devil. The devil has no claim and no power against us. Now let's think about the devil for a moment and just for a moment, because I don't want to give him too much time. But Proverbs 12, 10 says, the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. The devil does not have a mercy button in it, on his whole entire staff. There is no mercy. As tender as he can get, as merciful as he can get, it's still cruel. He is the ultimate narcissist. We're told in Isaiah that he said, I will make myself like the most high God. He wants worship. And no amount of worship is enough for the devil. He said to the Lord, Jesus in the temptation, bow down and worship me. And the literal rendering of that in Greek is bow down just once and worship me. Just one time. He's so desperate that even though he has the worship of so many people of this world, it's still not enough. Jesus actually tells us in John 8, 44, that he is a liar and a murderer. In Luke 13, 16, he tells us that he's a cruel taskmaster. He had bound a woman in pain and bent over 18 years. 
Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, that he's a devouring lion. He's going around just looking for somebody that he can devour. And in John 10, 10, Jesus tells us that he's a thief and a robber and a destroyer. But we are saved from the devil. He is no longer the master of our life. But we are also saved from death. This is all what we're saved from. We are saved from death. Now, men describe death as separation of the spirit from the body. But the Bible describes death as separation of the spirit from God. When Adam and Eve sinned and ate of the forbidden tree, immediately their spirits were separated from God's spirits. There was no more walking in the garden. There was no more fellowship. But the death that the Bible is speaking about, besides a physical death, is an eternal separation from God. Everything that is God, love, peace, joy, beauty, kindness, truth, All the attributes of God, light, innocence, purity, all of these are lost forever. When you take God, who is love, out of the picture, you lose love. We are saved from hell. We are saved from that place of eternal separation from God. We are saved from damnation. We are saved from the condemnation that was justly ours because of all our sin. We were rebels from God and we had received the death penalty. And we deserve to be punished and destroyed for our opposition to God. But we have been saved from that condemnation. As it says in Romans 8.1, there is therefore no more condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We have been saved from the fear of death, verse 15, and release those who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. We are no longer hiding from life, trying to escape death. In fact, for those who believe in Jesus Christ, death has been transformed into a transport, a transport, a bus, if you will, a train, an airplane to glory, perfection, beauty, community, God's presence, and life itself. Fear has been reduced to a nagging choice and not a constant. We are also saved from aimless, vain, purposeless, and meaningless lives on earth. You see, we were subject to bondage. We were addicted to sin. We were cursed and condemned to this insufferable emptiness where nothing that we did mattered. I'm going to do the dishes and tomorrow there will be more dishes. Ephesians chapter two, verses one through three describes it like this. And you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we had conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature the children of wrath, just as others. You see, Sometimes because coming to Jesus feels so right, we forget our former estate. It's like I forget what it was like to be a single person. I really can't think or remember life without Brian. I have just been with him so much and so long. But sometimes that gets this familiarity where I can stop appreciating. And I have to remember that I have been saved from condemnation, 
from the devil, from emptiness, from fear, from frustration, from helplessness, from hopelessness. I don't want the familiarity of walking with Jesus to make me forget how great my salvation is. But our salvation is so great because of the great cost. We could not save ourselves. The law could not save us. It only showed us the jeopardy we were in, the sin we had committed. Blood sacrifices could not save us. They, they could only cover our sins, but there were not enough animals in this world to atone for all our sins. And they only pointed to the need of a greater, pure, sufficient sacrifice. Our good works could not save us because even our best works are done with selfish motives. We were not good enough. Our works were not great enough, nor generous enough. And our sins were greater, more numerous than all our good. The cost was so expensive. It was blood and not just any blood the blood that would have to cover for our sins had to be pure, undefiled, and powerful. Our blood could not atone because it was tainted with sin. We're told in Leviticus 17, 11, the life is in the blood. And we needed living blood, not that of a dead sacrifice, but living blood. The cost was humbling and eternally binding. It says in verse 11 of Hebrews 2, for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one blood, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. It had to be human, and yet it had to be divine. Deity would have to join itself to humanity. And the cost was that the Son of God would have to become man forever. The incarnation tells us that God is forever man and forever God, not God the Father, but God the Son is forever the Son of Man and the Son of God. He is both. He's not either or. He's not 50-50. He's not 75-25. He is all God and he is all man. But let me say this. He is the only God man. There is no other. There will never be another God man. And there was not a God man before him. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the first God man. He is the only God man. And he will ever be the only God man, the only mediator, the only one who could join the father to humanity, the only one who will ever join the Father to lost humanity. It is God alone, the Son of God. He is forever related to humanity. Jesus is the only one. He alone is the bridge. He will never turn back to God because he never lost being God. He is all God and he is all man. But Jesus experienced the ultimate reduction Philippians 2, 6 through 8 tells us who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant servant, and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. 
The cost was humiliating to the Son of God. The cost was the life of the Son of God. The cost was painful. Verse 9 of Hebrews chapter 2, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Verse 10, for it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the author of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Jesus endured the whole human experience. He took the lowest place that we might be exalted to the highest place with him. He was born into poverty, a stable in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth to a working class family. He had no permanent place to live according to his own word and testimony in Matthew 8, 20. He served the people, healing, feeding, delivering. And he said in Luke 22, verse 27, I am among you as one who serves. Jesus knew our physical experience. He knew what it was to hunger, to thirst, to be angry, to be frustrated, to be tired. And he wept. He knew what it was to feel sorrow. Jesus experienced emotional suffering, rejection, opposition. He was forsaken by his disciples, those closest to him, those who knew him best. He was denied. He was falsely accused. He was publicly humiliated, stripped, and denounced. He was mocked and ridiculed and condemned. Jesus experienced the physical suffering. He was bound led, beaten, bullied, bruised. His beard was pulled out. He was flogged. He wore a crown of thorns. He received severe physical abuse from the Roman guards. He was paraded about. His hands and feet were pierced through with a stake. He was heaved up onto a rough wooden cross and he was left to die while men around him watched, gambled for his clothes, enjoyed his suffering. And those he loved wept and became disillusioned. Oh, it's so hard when somebody through your own tragedy says, I don't know if I can believe in God because I'm watching what you're going through. And you're like, I, I, I want to help you through this. But Jesus was on the cross. And all he could say is, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus experienced the ultimate death. We have death as a transport, but he felt the separation of his spirit from his father. Matthew 27, 46, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He who was pure and good, felt the filth of all men's sins. He felt that which he hated, that which he loathed upon his person. He took the condemnation that we so richly deserve. He experienced the wrath of God against sin. Again, Hebrews tells us that he was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Not just death, but the suffering of death. It's a death that we, because of our salvation, never need suffer, but he suffered it. Jesus became man in order to suffer and to die for men that he might save all mankind. So our salvation is so great because of the price our Savior paid.
First Peter 1, 18 through 19 says this, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. But next, our salvation is so great because our savior is so great. He is God's son. As we said, he is God. And in chapter one, just last week, we learned that he's the appointed heir of all things, the creator of the world, the brightness of God's glory, the express image of God's person. I want to go back just real quick to the creator of the worlds, not just the world, but the worlds, all the planets, all the stars. He's the express image of God's person. He's the upholder of all things by his word. He is the one who is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. And this is the one that said, no one takes my life from me, but I give it voluntarily for the sins of the world. This great Jesus, this son of God voluntarily procured our salvation He is the one who utterly pleased God, the one to whom God bore witness, saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And in verse four, we're told that God also bore witness to him with signs and wonders and various miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus did what he did, though he was God. He did what he did, the miracles through the power of God. God worked it in him and through him. Proving, showing, manifesting that Jesus was indeed the one God was well pleased with. The one that God took perfect delight in. In verse 5 of Hebrews chapter 2, it says he is the one to whom God has placed the world to come in subjection to. That one day, as it says in Philippians chapter two, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. Philippians and Ephesians both tell us that Jesus is given the highest name, a name above every other name. But Jesus is also the ultimate man. He is what every man was created to be. He is what every man should be, courageous, kind, compassionate, gracious, noble, moral, upright, caring, faithful, sympathetic. He is everything. You know, they used to have those dolls, Mr. Wonderful. And he would, you would press the button and would say, my dear, but you look so beautiful. You would press it again and it would say, yes, dear, I will ask for directions. But that was Mr. Wonderful. But Jesus is more than wonderful. He is our wonderful savior, counselor, king. In fact, the word captain of our salvation that the author uses in verse 10 of Hebrews chapter two can be translated champion or archegos. And it means the pioneer or the first, um, the one who goes before the victor, the front runner. He is our champion. He is our savior. He became weak as a man, lived as a man, took on the forces of the devil as a man, took on death and took on himself the wrath of God. And he did all this to save us from hell, damnation, sin, the devil, fear, meaninglessness. Our salvation is great because of what it has brought to us. Not only are we saved from wrath, destruction, the devil's sin. You might be saying, Cheryl, will you quit saying those things? 
But I think we need to be reminded over and over again what we've been saved from. But we are forever related to God through Jesus. We have become the daughters of God and the heirs of God because of our salvation. We now have a merciful high priest who understands us, who aids us and helps us. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. And when it speaks of the seed of Abraham, it's talking about those who believe by faith and seek to obtain a righteous standing with God by believing his word. And again, in Hebrews chapter one, we're told that Jesus is the ultimate word of God. As it says in Hebrews 1, 1, God, who in various times and in various ways has spoken to us by the prophets, has now in these last days spoken to us by his son. Jesus is the word of God, the message of God. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, like humanity, that he might be merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, to pay the payment to pay the cost for that he himself has suffered being tempted. He is able to aid those who are tempted. You see through Jesus, we not only have an in with God, but we have help and aid. Jesus himself understands us, but we also have exaltation. We are going to heaven. We are going to glory. This corruption will put on incorruption. This mortal will put on immortality. We have forgiveness of our sins. We have been cleansed. We have been purged. We have the assurance of heaven. We are saved. We are saved. And it's so great a salvation. The world, the devil are always trying to dull our senses to the greatness of our salvation. Therefore, as believers, we have to give the more earnest heed. We have to give greater attention, make an investment in, make it a priority. The things that we have learned and received. The author of Hebrews says, if the law given by angels was binding, it still stands and every transgression and disobedience received a corresponding judgment. There is no escape if we neglect this great salvation. There's no other salvation. There's no other way to heaven. There's no other way for our sins to be forgiven. There is no other way to have reconciliation with the Father. There is no other way to have the blessings of God, to have the favor of God. It is only through this great salvation that Jesus has wrought for us. It is going to need to take heed. Remember, attention and action is going to take earnest heed, dedication and sincerity. And we must put in effort. The more, the more earnest heed, we must put in effort. This will mean reminding ourselves and be reminded of how great our salvation is. That means we're going to hear it again. We need to pay attention when we're singing about it. We need to preach it to ourselves. We need to talk about it with others. We need to meditate on it. We need to fellowship in Bible study and spend time in God's word. We need to pray and use the benefits of the salvation. Do not 
neglect. It's time to give attention again. The more earnest heed and attention to this great salvation. So great a salvation cannot, should not, for any reason, be neglected. We are saved. And the cost was great. And the Savior is so great. And we are saved from such a horrid condemnation. And through it, we have access to God and the blessings of God. Such a great salvation. Should never, ever, ever be neglected. Hebrews 2 exhorts us to give the most earnest heed to our great salvation because there is no other salvation by which anyone can be saved. Jesus is the only way to eternal life, the only way for our sins to be forgiven, and the only way of reconciliation with God. So great a salvation cannot and should not for any reason be neglected. We need to remind ourselves daily of how Jesus saved us from our former condition and promises us a future and a hope as we have eternity with Him in heaven. We have so much to be thankful for. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look at Jesus, the Son of God, as we continue our series, Our Great Faith in the Book of Hebrews with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.